We're learning something about the king and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom, leading all the way up, of course, to the one who was born a king, King Jesus. But we got to look at the first time the word king and kingdom, the first time all those different words are used. We looked last week at the first time king was used in Genesis. Now we're going to look at Exodus 19. Exodus 19. We're going to see how Jesus takes a people and the king makes them his own. A people that were not his, a people that were not worthy even, a people that were slaves, but he said, those are mine. I'm going to make them a part of my family, part of my kingdom. So let me set this up. The plagues have happened. The children of Israel, remember the 10th plague, they ate that Passover meal with their clothes on, their shoes on their feet, their sandals, all their stuff packed, ready to go. The front door is half, you know, it's, it's closed, the Passover lamb, has, has, uh, excuse me, the death angel has come, they're, they're ready to go, because their freedom is like that. So they head out of Egypt in freedom, through the Red Sea, the miraculous encounter at the Red Sea, and they're at Mount Sinai 45 days later. So if you do the math here, they get there 45 days, 46 and 47 is Moses going up to the mountain. God says, consecrate these people for three days. They can't come on the mountain. They can't get close to it. I'm holy. Consecrate them for three days. And then Moses going, coming back down, it totals 50, 5-0. From the moment they left Egypt... So they get the law of the Lord and they covenant with God is 50 days. Wait, wait, I know that number. What is that? Pente, right? Pente, Pentecost. The time when they left Egypt to when they covenant with God is 50 days. That's the birth of the Old Testament church. The same as the birth of the New Testament church from the crucifixion of our Savior to his ascension in Pentecost in Acts 2, 50 days. So we have this beautiful picture. So we're right here at Acts 19.1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying... So God is going to speak to Moses for the people to hear. Thus you shall say to the children of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey, indeed, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. It's all mine. It always has been. It always will be. But you're going to be my people. And you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. These are the first words you're going to speak to all the children of Israel. That I'm going to form this kingdom, my kingdom through them. So let's look at this. As we said last week, the Bible starts really fast and just kind of glimpses through history. 
Genesis 1 through 11 is 2,000 years of history. 1 through 11, 2,000 years, roughly, give or take, you know, a few years. I wasn't there, but that's what the Bible has it at. Genesis 12 through the end, Genesis 50, is 350 years. Slows down. It slows down because we want to focus on this man Abraham, his son Isaac, and Jacob, because this man obeys me. This man is justified by faith. He trusts me. I've called him out, and he's obeyed my voice. So everything slows down in world history. 350 years. Now, right here, it's an amazing fact. From getting out of Egypt until Numbers chapter 10, 57 chapters. 57 chapters of the Bible, including the ones you don't like to read very much because that's Leviticus. It's a little difficult. 50, yes, you're thinking, yes, slow. That's the slowest Bible reading I've ever done. Either people go really slow through Leviticus or they just skip Leviticus. <laughs> 57 chapters of the Bible are roughly a year. Whoa. Just slow everything down and focus. I have to reprogram this people. I've got to keep, teach them to be a covenant people. I've got to teach them that they're mine. And I've got to teach them about my kingdom and how my kingdom's going to work on blood, on grace and on blood. They have to understand that. So everything slows down here. 57 chapters, they're going to spend right here at Mount Sinai, all the way till we get to Numbers 10. I didn't even realize that until I was studying this. I was like, whoa. All right, you've got some notes there. Let's look at this. Let's learn something new from the wonderful, infallible word of the living God that nourishes our soul. Verse 3 says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, you shall say to the house of Jacob, I want you to talk to Jacob. Now, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. No unnecessary details. There are none. If it is in there, it's in there for a reason. I don't want you to talk to Abraham or Isaac. They're Jacob. Now, Jacob was the least mature of the patriarchs. Jacob struggled more than Abraham and Isaac did. Now, all of their weaknesses are in the Bible. Thank God. That's how we know we can trust it. It shows everyone's weaknesses. But Jacob struggled. Jacob started off his life as a bit of a usurper. He um, struggled with his brother, struggled trusting God. He had all kind of struggle in his life. And God said, listen, you're going to tell my people, I know they're Jacob. I understand that they actually may not have the faith that Abraham did and the faith that Isaac did. But I'm still their king. I'm still going to make a kingdom from them. And I'm fine with knowing they're Jacob. I'm okay with that. I'm big enough to handle it. I'm God. And in fact, they're so down. They got all these issues and been slaves for 400 years. But I have no problem with that because I'm so great. I'll raise up these people. And in fact, Jesus said, if those people, don't, if those people right there don't worship me, I'll raise up the rocks to praise him. I can do anything. Jacob, small potatoes. I can raise anyone up to worship. Amen? I love this. <laughs> because I've got, I got Abraham days. I mean, I just trust him in all things, and people should sing songs about me. Father Abraham had many. But not every day is an Abraham day, is it? No, no. There are some Isaac days, and then sometimes, oh, there's Jacob days. There are Jacob days, and he's okay with that. He's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to get me through it. And he's big enough to get you through it. Number one on your notes. 
The king knows all. All the Jacob tendencies, but he still gives us his all. All the things you don't want anyone knowing about, he knows. All my weaknesses, my struggles, he knows. And he's bigger than that. Amen? He's bigger. And you need to know that in his kingdom, the way it works. Because if you think that, that you have to function every day with this amazing Abraham complex, you're going to struggle in your life. I want to read a quote from you. This is Tim Keller. He's a pastor in the Northeast. Can anything good come from New York? Yes, this one thing. <laughs> this is a quote right here. You can look at it. It's a wonderful, deep theological truth here. It's on your notes. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. They love me, but oh, if they knew what I was really like. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, right? If I really show all my weaknesses, if I really, they knew what I was struggling with, they would reject me. That's the greatest fear. This comes from a marriage book, by the way. This is a marriage book. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot like being loved by God, isn't it? Oh, that's a deep, deep theological truth. I know everything you are, Israel. I know everything you are, Jacob. But I brought you out. I bore you on eagle's wings. And I'm going to make you a people because I'm God and I've done it like this. Don't argue with me. I'm God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Isn't that what God did right here in Exodus 19? It was too humbling for them to say they did it. It was too amazing. It said, I know you, yet I, I know you fully, but I truly love you. Listen to the way David said it. One of my, this is my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. We're going to read 1 to 3, then we're going to jump to 13. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. That's the way he starts it out. You know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with how many? All my ways. All my ways. Even when no one's there, you hear me singing off key in the shower. It's bad. All my ways. Now go to verse 13. This is so important. Every Christian, if Christ is your Savior, you have to get this to the deepest part of your soul. Verse 13. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Look at the end of verse 14. So important. I've said this, I've preached this more than once, and I'll do it every few months because it's so important. And that my soul, the deepest part of me, even though I was a slave in Egypt and I couldn't do this on my own and I just cried out for help, you miraculously brought me through the Red Sea. You gave me the promised land. You saved my soul. My soul knows it very well. There is the overcoming life. There is trust in Jesus. Your soul can't kind of know it. 
That's why I want you to know God, grow in community, go near and far. I want you to know Him as Lord and Savior. Because if you know Him and you know His Word, your soul won't just know it. It'll know it very well. Amen? Very well. That's what God wants for everyone in this room who's a Christ follower. Every kid over there in children's ministry who's packing up Christmas boxes right now, we're going to pray for them at the end of service. I want their soul to know it very well that God loves them, that they can come to salvation through the cross. They can live the overcoming life no matter what happens in their life or what they've been through. All right, let's keep going here. Who i got to do Christmas boxes. we got to keep going. I'm speed it up here. Verse 4. We're back in Exodus 19. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It's a beautiful picture of bore you on eagles' wings. So in this time in, in history, and even still today, they have vultures, they have eagles in this area. And let me say this word right. Ornithologists, I had to look it up. Y'all probably already knew that. It's a bird scientist have observed, an ornithologist has observed more than once, I couldn't find it on YouTube, they haven't had a video yet, where eagles, obviously, they don't um, like put their, their babies on their back and ride them around. But what they do do is they push them out of the nest. Or they have video of them kicking them out of the nest. And those birds take off and are flying and trying to learn, and the parent comes underneath that bird and pushes up on it and so that bird can feel with its feet the mother's, um, the mother's feathers and wings and it steadies that bird. And so if you're looking and observing that from the ground looking up like this scripture, you look and what it looks like and what it is is that mother bird is underneath that one helping that other one to learn how to fly. That's the picture we have here. And this has been observed. And there are all kind of writings and blogs about these uh, bird scientists, how they've seen this, not only the eagles, but vultures and other, other uh, birds. And so that's the picture that we have here, that I miraculously, beyond your strength, beyond your ability, you couldn't fly that far, you couldn't even get there. I'm the one who brought you all the way to this mountain, and I did it for one reason. It says, to give you the promised land. No, a land flowing with milk and honey. Nope. To set you free, yes. But no, that's not what it says. What does it say? And brought you to myself. That's relationship. Do not think the Old Testament is all about laws. I did this to redeem you to me. I love you, and this is about relationship, and it always has been. Amen? Amen? Number two on your notes. The king's power is for restoration of relationship. I did all this to bring you to myself for me. I'm going to usher to turn on the ACs. If it smells a little funny, we're trying to figure out something um, is not working properly, but we'll figure it out. I don't want you to fall asleep. <laughs> it's not quite Thanksgiving yet. You can sleep on Thursday. 
All right, verse 5, let's look at this. I did all this to bring you to myself, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and follow the law. That's not the language used. He doesn't say anything about law. The Ten Commandments are not to the next chapter. Again, we need to understand the nature of our Lord and Savior. We understand his heart and what he's all about. He says, you're going to obey my voice. That is personal. This is before Jesus. This is still personal. All you people, although you were slaves, you can better hear my voice. I'm going to give you my words. And he says, you're going to obey my voice. And what else does he say? My covenant. Covenant is a legal document. It existed in this culture. It's still, we use the word contract now, but the covenant word is a very strong word. Most of the time, in many instances, it was unbreakable. It's the strongest form of legal document. It's strong, strong language. I want you to know about my covenant. I want you to know about my nature and how I love you and how I do things you don't deserve. I want you to understand that I'll be faithful to you even when you're not. That happened over and over throughout the Old Testament. I want you to know that I can peer through time and see the Savior who will save you from your sins. We need to understand number three. The kingdom is built on His covenant of grace. It's always been about covenant. It's always been about His plan and His purpose. I want to show you the first time the word kingdom is used in the Bible. So, you know, we do these, these series and you kind of got the kingdom as kingdom. It's called a keyword study. So what's the first time we see the word kingdom in the Bible? It was a surprising place for me. It was found in Genesis 10. Genesis 10. Where's the, the first place the word kingdom is used? Genesis 10.8. These are the descendants of Noah. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was mighty hunter before the Lord. Not that he did it for the Lord, but just before the God of creation, he, that's what he did. He was really good at physical things. Look, you can, he didn't have a 357, all right? Well, we don't hunt with 357. He didn't have a 30-06. If you're a hunter, I don't mean to offend you. <laughs> he was mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, verse 10, and the beginning of his what? Kingdom was Babel. Well, we know the story of Babel, right? We understand that all the people came together and he was famous. He was physically very good. He probably had some, or, some speaking skills. He could gather people and he was a physical specimen, especially for this time. This picture in Babel is the, kind of the first picture of humanism. There's no thought. These people that are building this tower, there's zero talk of God. It's like they don't give a care. It doesn't matter. It says we're going to build this tower, this tower up to the heavens. doesn't mean like we're trying to get to God. It has nothing to do with it. It says we're going to build something so great. I don't care if there's another flood. We'll be fine. This is the picture of humanism. Humanism can be defined as this. The exaltation of man. Man can, is the, in, the highest of all things and can fix all things. That's contrary. We're broken. We're done without Jesus. Now with him we have all things. But this is the picture of humanism. And says in Genesis 10, it says, look, I'm going to tell you, the first kingdom that's built by man, it's going to fall apart. And I'm going to scatter it. 
Because no flesh will what? Glory in his presence. This is all about people. It's all, this just has nothing to do with God. And God says, no, I'm not doing this. It's not going to happen. He goes and he confuses the languages and all that. It's why does God do that? Why does he disperse all those people? They don't seem to be doing anything bad. There's nothing about lasciviousness and debauchery. I don't see that anywhere in here. I don't see Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't see any of that. There's no overt sin mentioned here at all. There's nothing. Except if these people get together, they think they can create the whole world. There's nothing that'll stop them, it says. And there's a problem there. Because as Revelation says, you're blind and you don't know it. You're without clothes and you don't know it. You don't realize it. And he says this, this kingdom built on man will fall. There's only one kingdom that stands. And that's the kingdom built on my covenant of grace. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 6, back in Exodus. 19.6. And you shall be to me. Oh, it just gets really good. Not only did I bring you out, not only did I save you, not only did I pay all those bills and, and I, I, I got you from out of homelessness and everything, I want you to live with me. Not only that, but I got something more for you. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It was priest, ungodly priest at this time, and obviously God's getting ready to start His priesthood and the temple and all that. But what is what a priest? Priest is someone who has direct, direct access to what? The divine. There's someone who's not the normal person. They get to go behind the curtain. They got privileged information, right? And God says, I'm going to level the playing field here. You're all going to be a kingdom of priests. You're all going to have access to me. Now, this is the old covenant and it's wonderful. We even have a better one. We even have the, we have the blood of Jesus. We have an unhindered access through the blood. But even right here, he's talking about you're going to be able to come to me. You're going to be connected to me. You're going to have relationship with me. Number four in your notes. What is the throne? Access to the throne has always been the king's desire. Access to the throne has always been the king's desire. Did you know that the culture they grew up in, Egypt, you couldn't even come into the presence of the Pharaoh. You lose your head for that one. You didn't, I don't care the, who the, the Hebrews couldn't even see the Pharaoh. They weren't allowed there, and that's just a man. It was tight quarters. I mean, he, it was, uh, he, he, access to him was not easy. The Hebrews had never even, probably all of them, especially because they were in the land of Goshen, they didn't even know who this Hebrew was. They didn't know who he was. I mean, who this, excuse me, who this Pharaoh was. To, for them, for God to come down and, and him say, you're going to have access to me. Whoa, we couldn't even talk to that guy over there. Now you're going to give us access? So let's look at their response and their struggle, their Jacob-like attitude, just one chapter over in Exodus 20. 
And the reason we call them Jacob and their struggles is you see it right here. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's gone 40 days. He's, he's getting the Ten Commandments. He comes back down. <clears throat> They're falling apart already. Exodus 20:18. Now all the people witnessed the thundering and the lightnings, the flashes. This is Exodus 20:18. The sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Okay, I get that. It looks like Mount Vesuvius. Okay, I get that. I understand. But God in his power, he's powerful. When he enters a room, you're going to know it, right? You're going to understand it. I grew up like this. I just didn't realize it. When I was a kid, my dad was in the military, and he had this big military uniform, and that's just him leaving work. And he was, he's a big man, and then he had those military boots, combat boots. That adds another inch. And he's in this military uniform, and he was just normal to me. My dad's a very gentle man. He always has been. He's you know, called him a gentle giant, especially when he was younger and you got to be in the military and you're fit. Now, when my friends would come over, and especially my little sister's friends, they would flip. He comes in. He's booming. He has a big voice. I mean, they're not used to that. has nothing to do with who he is. He's 100% contrary to that. He's a gentle giant. But just the intimidation factor of a big old person, right, in combat boots in the military uniform. <gasps> this is the picture here. The mountain smoking. Then they said to Moses, oh, you speak with us and we will hear, but let us not, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, the man who has encountered God, the man at the burning bush, the man who truly actually knows God, what does he say? That's a good idea. You should stay far off. He says, and Moses said to them, do not fear. Do not fear. For God has come to test you and that his fear, his respect and reverence may be before you so that you may not sin. He said, look, I'm going to teach you to be holy, but it's not about being far off. Consecrate yourself these three days. We want, God wants you to be right here. And that's when they threw up their hands and said, oh, no, we'll just do it like we did in Egypt. They would just have a middleman. That really wasn't what God wanted. He wanted to be close to them, even in the Old Testament. He wanted relationship with them. He did all that work to bring them to himself. All right, one more. Exodus 19, verse 6. So God proclaims to them what he's done. I, brought, I bore you on eagle's wings. I brought you out here. I did all this work to bring you to myself. I want relationship with you. Look, I know you're Jacob. I'm okay. You just come to me. Believe I'm God. Don't have any other idols. Come to me. Not by your works. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus are saved, not those that behave. Just come to me and trust me. I'm going to teach you how to be my people. He gets him there, and he says to Moses, And you shall be to me a kingdom and a priest and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses, they don't understand me. They don't talk like the way I want them to talk. They don't think like that I want them to think. 
but I want you to go down and want you to tell them they're not slaves anymore. This is not Egypt. I do things differently. It doesn't matter the family they grew up in. It doesn't matter what happened. I want to give them my identity. That's what he's saying, isn't he? This is the Father God. I love them, and I want you to tell them who they are. The world has lied to them. Egypt has affected them. That's always the picture of sin, right? Always a picture of sin, Egypt. But I want you to know, number five on your notes, the king has announced his people's identity. And that's a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The king has announced his people's identity. Moses, go tell them all this. Make sure they know. If you're going to do anything for God in proclaiming him, tell people that they can have identity in Christ. If you want to be an evangelist, if you want to tell anyone, if you want to talk to kids or young or old or whatever, you go to them and say, I'm going to tell you, there's a Savior, his name is Jesus, and you can have his identity. You were born in sin, you may have grew up in Egypt, whatever happened, but I'm going to tell you, there's a God who loves you, and he'll give you an identity that's greater than any mess you've been through. Amen? That's the first thing he told Moses to do. You get down there and you tell them that they're a kingdom of priests and they're a holy nation. I like that. Well, this is not the only time we see this in the Bible. Let's go to Peter in 1 Peter. Remember I said, this is like the Old Testament church and then the New Testament church which we live in? Look at 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9. I'm just going to say Peter cheated on this. He really just quoted Moses and God. This is what happened. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. If this was a college uh, essay, he would have gotten in trouble because he just is. <laughs> it's plagiarism. Thank you. That's the word. His whole, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of Egypt, out of that old identity into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you own it. That means own to obtain. I have mercy. It's not like I want mercy. He's given me mercy through Christ. Oh. You know, when you read this written thousands of years later, you say, truly, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Well, let's go even... Okay, that's not far enough in history. Let's go into the future. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to him who loved us and washed us in and washed us from 
our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to God and Father. To, be, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now there's one word right there that we need to understand. Put that back up, that last verse. He starts this right in the middle of a chapter, and then he says, amen. Isn't that like at the end, you know, at the end of a letter? And then he says, amen. What? And then Jesus starts talking in verse 8. You see, because the church and you as an individual have a responsibility. We all do. The Lord has been, this is a personal journey for me in my life. If I'm a born-again Christian, I don't ever speak contrary to Him. If He said, that's who I am, I may not feel like it that day, but that's what He said. He said all those things. John proclaims this to Him, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then every Christian throughout all time in history says, Amen. That means let it be so. I believe it. I proclaim it. I support it. There is what the kingdom should be proclaiming. That's your job. That's my job. That's your mission in life. That's my mission in life. Amen. All right. We're going to end a little differently. Get that video ready. The king and his kingdom. Tell you, the more I study this, oh, he is the, own, the eternal king, the only wise God. His kingdom is beautiful. His, he, the king is wonderful in splendor and perfection. As we reflect on everything we've done, I want you to listen to this song. You can look at it. This is just your time with Jesus. It speaks of a deep, deep theological truth. And it's kind of back to this quote we read at the beginning. To be fully known, yet truly loved. He knows your Jacob's tendencies. He knows everything where we've come from. He knows everything about us in the past and what we are, what we're struggling with. God knew what the Israelites were going to struggle with. This is just the beginning. He says, I'm going to make you a kingdom, a priest, a, royal, a holy nation. So let's listen to this. inside me and you call me out to pull me in you tell me I can start again and I don't need to keep on hiding I'm fully known and loved by you you won't let go no matter what I do and it's not one or the other It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known Fully known and loved by you I'm fully known 
king oh he has a wonderful kingdom amen kiddos we are so glad you're here wow we got a bunch of kids and that's just not mine (laughs) i want y'all all all to come up here come on yes give them a hand now i hear y'all been working over there in church is this true yes y'all look like y'all been working Look at this. So this is Operation Christmas Child. Most of you are probably familiar with it. It's Samaritan's Purse, a quality organization, Franklin Graham. We do it a little differently. We ask y'all to bring things, which y'all did, clearly, but y'all don't do the work. They've been working all... They don't, it's not Children's Ministry Day. It's, it's like Santa's little workshop in there. <laughs> They've been prepping. So you've made all these, these boxes today. You got them all prepped for kids all over the world. And I heard y'all wrote some letters also, is that correct? Yeah. Yes, with your name and told them about who you are, and right? Kind of old school pen pals. Don't ask me what that is. Don't worry about it. You can ask your parents. <laughs> I am so glad. So guys, these kids that are, that, that are all over the world that these boxes are going to come to, they need Jesus, don't they? Right? Now in there, is there there's, there's going to be your letter about yourself, and they're also going to put stuff about Jesus in there. Now, I tell y'all what, why don't we pray for all these boxes as they go out all over the world? Will you pray? I want you to get a kid's picture in your mind from another country, and I want you to pray for them as, as um, we're going to pray and then send these boxes out all over the world. Does that sound great? Yes? I want to show y'all a couple of pictures here. 
We, we already did. I missed it. Did they already play? And I was, my back was turned. This was children's ministry this morning. I walked in this morning, just turning on the lights and the you know, normal things I do, and that they, somebody had done a lot of work. And the people that are wearing orange shirts in this room, those are the people who've been doing a lot of work. Where's Michelle? She's over there on the floor. <laughs> Look, at, this was all done. It's been a lot of work. By many hands, the work of God is done. Amen? It's an honor to, to work hard for the Lord. Michelle and Kellen are wonderful. They've done a great job, as well as everyone. Many of you wear orange shirts on different... Hello, love, on, as for different Sundays. All right, y'all ready to pray? Yeah. Church, y'all going to pray with us? Y'all ready? Let's pray for these shoeboxes. Okay, kids, let's pray. Get your shoebox. Hold it tight. Y'all ready to pray for it? Let's go. Lord, thank you so much that you have blessed us not only with what we need, but we have more than enough. And you said when you have extra, when you have more than enough, you can give it to others and just spread seed and throw it out all over the place as much as you can. Thank you so much, God. We're a young church, but you have blessed us. We have given mission uh, so much money to missions, all of this stuff. Lord, you have blessed us to be able to touch the world in ways we don't even know. We just give it, and you do the miracle. So we're asking, Lord, above the wonderful presents that these kids receive, which many of them that receive these, it'll be the only presents they get. We ask above all that you would encounter them, that they would encounter Jesus, Jesus Christ, this Christmas, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that your kingdom would come in their life and your will would be done in their life, no matter where these go. We don't know where they're going. Oh, but the God who sees all knows exactly where they're going. And I thank you that these kids are going to encounter Jesus in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 Guys, thank you so much. Yes. Give them a hand. Congregation, you can stand up. I think this is about the end of our service, right? You're going to bring them over to children's ministry? <laughs> I wish everyone did this at church. Church is over. No! I, at 11, 16, you guys are like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, y'all going to give testimonies next week. All right. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. You are dismissed.